you so very much. Appreciate that. Let's take our Bibles, please, and join me in the book of Job. We're headed over to Job chapter 12 this morning, 11 actually, and 12 and a little bit more. There's uh, notes in the bulletin. If you need some, the ushers are walking through the auditorium. They'll give that to you. There was a movie that came out a number of years ago. I think it was Disney. And it was basically talking about in the fairy tale world. There was this old man, I don't know what his skill set was, but he was to keep everything going really, really well in fairy tale land. And so because he was on the job and keeping everything going, every time somebody would read the fairy tale, everything would work out. Cinderella would always get the glass slipper, wear it, marry the prince. Um, the fairy tale world, Sleeping Beauty would fall asleep, but then Prince Charming would come, kiss her, wake up, and they would live happily ever after. In fairy tale land, Rapunzel would let down her hair, the prince would climb up, and you know, she'd be rescued and live happily ever after. And Little Red Riding Hood, even though the wolf threatened her, he'd be killed by the woodsman, and she'd be able to get the everything taken care of, fairy tale land. In this movie, the premise was that the idea that that old man keeping everything in order, he went on a golf vacation. And when he left, he left it to two of his his uh, followers, they were supposed to keep everything in order, and they couldn't. They didn't. They fell asleep on the job. So fairy tale land went into absolute chaos. What happened is, for uh, Cinderella, her wicked stepmother took over and became the ruler. And she never got the glass slipper. Uh, Sleeping Beauty's handsome prince bent down, kissed her, and he fell into a trance right beside her. Uh, All of a sudden, when Rapunzel let down her hair, her hair hair fell on top. I'm sorry. She let down her hair. She all of a sudden lost her balance, fell out the window, and fell on top and crushed the prince. Uh, In fairy tale land, Little Red Riding Hood gets eaten by the wolf. And so everything is in absolute chaos, and the whole idea is, okay, let's get everything back in order. Do you... Do you sometimes think that people think their world is a fairy tale and God is the one supposed to keep everything in order? And if all of a sudden chaos afflicts our fairy tale existence, all of a sudden God's at fault. Get it back in order. That's exactly what we're reading about in the book of Job. Job, who doesn't have full understanding, Job's fairy tale existence went into absolute chaos. Chapters 1 and 2 is about all of a sudden he's attacked, allowed to be attacked by Satan. Satan comes, takes away everything that in his life was just, it was, a, it was just absolutely perfect. It was happily ever after. And all of a sudden his possessions are gone, his servants are gone, his health is gone, his ten children killed in a moment. And everything is in chaos and as a result, he's confused. He doesn't understand what happened to this, this story. You know, the script wasn't supposed to go this way. Everything is out of tune. The story isn't following. And so in the midst of all of that, his three friends show up, friends from afar, and they come, and there's Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and they show up, and they sit quietly with him for one week while he's out in the middle of that trash heap, and he's in grieving and mourning, and they come, and they start discussing. Job speaks up first, chapter 3, and he says, I don't understand what happened to God keeping everything according to the script. All of a sudden, everything is in chaos. What's going on? I don't understand. His three friends, they say, we've got the answer. We know why God is doing this. God is doing this because you've done something wrong, and a debate rages. For all the following chapters, up to chapter 37, they are arguing back and forth. The friends are saying to Job, you have some sin in your life. This only happens to sinful people. There's never chaos, there's never trouble, there's never problems, unless you are sinning against God. And you and I would say, really? Is that so? And that's exactly what Job says. 
Job's on the other side and says, I don't know of any sin in my life. This isn't because I'm being punished, but I don't understand why God's doing this. And that is this whole discussion. Now, the one that we haven't heard from is the third friend to speak up. And his name is Zophar. And Zophar, if you read what he says here in chapter 11, it is filled with zingers. This guy is going to really lamb blast. We thought Eliphaz was tough. We thought Bildad was harsh. Zophar goes even further in saying, Job, you are just absolutely, you're wrong. And he rebukes Job for what he has just said. Job, as we concluded last week, we looked at this last Sunday evening, Job is saying, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. I feel like God is against me. I feel like God has abandoned me. I feel like, um, you know, uh, everything is going wrong. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And and Zophar's rebukes. It is. He, he, I'm going to read it. And this is the way I understand. He's angry with Job. He's mad. And he's going to lash out at Job. And if you look at some of his comments, and I'm going to paraphrase the comments so that we can just get through because we have a, a long section of scriptures this morning. So we're going to highlight some verses. But basically what Zophar is saying to him, he starts off and just says, Should not the multitude of, the, of words be answered? Should a man full of talk be justified? Basically what I understand him saying when he speaks up and says, Should your lies make men hold back their peace when you mock and shall no man make you ashamed? He's basically saying, Job, you're talking way too much. You're just speaking. You don't know where of you speak. And, jo- and he says that basically, Job, you're a liar. You're a liar. You haven't listened to us. You're scoffing us. And you're making these lies. And, and, and what you're claiming is not true. Job, Job, you, you don't know anything about God. Look at verse 4. My doctrine is pure. For you said, my doctrine is pure and I am clean in your eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you. That he would show you the secrets of wisdom. Job, you don't know anything about God. What you claim, you just don't understand. And then at the end of verse 6, he basically says this idea. Know therefore that God exacts of thee less than thine iniquity deserves. You aren't getting half of what you should have gotten. You deserve so much more problems. And so he's, he, he's, he's really lashing out at Job, and he continues. Verses 7 through 12, if you gloss through them, he's going to be making comment you know, how you can find God. You don't, don't even know what you're talking about. And he ends up basically saying to Job in verse 11, you, For he knows vain men or foolish men. He seeks wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? For vain men would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass colt. Colts. What's that mean? What's he saying? For the chances of you, somebody like you who's vain, who's foolish, the chance of somebody like that, hey, you're getting wisdom, is, is chances of a donkey giving birth to a person. He's using this, this phrase to just indicate, Job, you're, you're just a fool and there's no help for you. You're just absolutely crazy. And in verses 30 through 20, he's going to basically say to Job these comments, if you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward him, if iniquity be in your hand and put, be put far from you. In other words, you need to repent. If you repent, if you would turn to the Lord, if you would raise your hands to him, then notice what would happen. For in verse 15 he says, For then shall you lift up your face without spot. You shall be steadfast. You'll not fear because you'll not forget your misery. Remember your, your age shall be clearer than the noonday. Everything good will come back to you. And, and you know, if you don't repent, he basically says this in verse 19 and 20, you, you're going to end up dying. You're going to die in misery. And it's just going to be awful. So Zophar has said his piece. He has basically said, Job, you're a liar, you're a fool, you aren't listening to us, and you're going to end up, you're going to end up in damnation. Now Job is going to respond to this. 
Okay? Now, my question is, how would you respond if somebody... You're in the hospital. You're getting good news that somebody in your, your family has cancer, or you have it. And you're devastated by that. And somebody comes in and says, you've sinned. You've sinned. You've done wrong. And you say, I don't know of anything. Oh, you're lying. You should listen to me. I speak the truth. You don't know anything about God. And most of us would respond by wanting to punch their lights out. And Job here is basically going, I don't get it. I don't get it. Last week we saw how he says, you guys are really, really harsh friends. I expect somebody to show kindness and you have no kindness at all in your speech. Remember what we're told to do is rejoice with them that rejoice, weep with them that weep. There was none of that happening here. And so they're really harsh with him. So Job responds from chapter 12, 13, 14. This is Job's speech. And Job in his comments He's going to want to have an opportunity to speak to God as in court. story that we put up here is a gentleman who truly happened to him in 88. This man living in Ohio, um, a young man, 22 years of age, black man, was had dropped out of school, couldn't read basically. He has a family, working, doing minimum wage job, trying to provide for his family. And uh, one day he's walking to his job and he meets a friend that he hasn't seen for a long time. The friend said, the police are looking for you. They came by. They, were, they, were, they think that you attacked some woman in a hotel downtown. Michael responds, said, I, I don't even know where that hotel is. I didn't do it. And he said, well, you know, the police are looking for you. So Michael walked the two miles down to the police station, walked in, told them who he was, and said, I heard you're looking for me. And they said, what, you said your name's Michael. Isn't your name really Anthony? And his first name was Anthony. He never went by it, so he went by Michael. And he says, yeah, my name is Anthony Michael, da-da-da-da. And they said, well, the reason we're after you is the guy, when he came in, introduced himself to the woman, first of all, as Tony. So your name is Tony. He says, no, I never go by Anthony. I don't go by Tony. And they said, well... Yeah, we're going to call her in. She's going to you know, do an eyewitness thing. So they called her in. She says, I can't be sure, but I think it's him. Based on that, he goes to court. And based on his name being Anthony, and she thinks it was him, and he doesn't have a good alibi because nobody can say, where, you know, say as an eyewitness he wasn't there, he ends up losing the case, ends up in jail. He's in jail for years. He's in there over 10 years, and he gets a new uh, jailmate. And that cellmate that's with him, every, every so often, is going down to the library. And he keeps asking him, he says, what are you going to the library for? Why do you go to the library? He says, I'm studying law. And Michael says, why are you studying law? He says, because everybody in here claims to be innocent. But it, the claims don't make any difference. You've got to prove if you're innocent. And he says, well, can you help me to prove that I'm innocent? Because I really am. And the cellmate says, yeah, yeah, that's what everybody says. You really are. He says, no, I really am. I'm innocent. He says, can you help me? He says, well, go to the library and I'll show you some books. But I don't read. I can't read. I dropped out of school. He says, well, let's start at the beginning. I'm going to teach you to read. So the cellmate teaches him to read. Michael learns to read. Michael learns some law. He, is, he processes what he's supposed to. He gets his, his court case to be brought up again. He gets a, a good attorney. And they prove that his case was bogus. And in the meantime, right around that same time, the police find somebody who looks like him, and that man confesses that he was actually the person. After 12 years of being in prison, he is released. Because he wanted to find himself an opportunity to defend himself. Job is in a prison, he feels like. Unjustifiably in a prison. 
So what Job does in the previous couple chapters, and here in this chapter, he is saying, I want an opportunity to defend myself in court before God. I want to be able to get together where God and I are speaking face to face, and I find out what God has against me. The terms that he uses repeatedly in the previous conversation that he, that he spoke, as well as in the one that we're in now, chapters 12, 13, 14, give you indications that those words are legal terms in the Hebrew that's used here. And they give the idea that he wants a court case. And so he's presenting his defense. As he presents his defense, Job's response is really interesting what he says about this whole situation. He responds, first of all, because the zingers that have just come, he's going to respond to say to Zophar and the friends sitting there. He says in verse 2, and he's doing it very sarcastically, no doubt, but you people, you know, you are the people that wisdom will die with you. You guys are, are so smart. When you're gone, nobody else will know anything. And then he goes on, he says, but I do have some understanding as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Yea, who knows such things? And he goes on and then he says, I know some things about God too. Look down, read through in the in other times. The rest of the chapter, chapter 12, he's talking about God, what he knows about God. And he says, this much I know about God. And he says, you know, that, and he lists off a whole bunch of things, how God is in control of life. He jumped, you know, verse 10, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing. He mentions in here how God is all-knowing, verse 13, with him is wisdom and strength. He has counsel. He talks about how God is sovereign over everything. He breaks down and he cannot be built again if he broke it down. He shuts up a man and there can be no opening. He talks in this whole text about how God controls nature. He withholds the waters. He, they dry up. He sends them out. They overturn. That storm that came through last night that some of you heard for miles ahead of time, who's in control of that storm? Ultimately, God. God controls everything. And then he says, I, and then God even controls governments. And he mentions that about loosing the bonds of the kings and, and uh, the idea of leading princesses. And so God is in total control. I know this. You know, when it comes to what I know, you guys think you have a handle on truth. You don't. I know some things about God. You're talking as if I don't know him at all. In fact, here's what I think of you guys. Chapter 13, verse 1. He says that... Um, I'm not inferior to you. And he goes on, he says, verse 4, he says, What I think about you guys is that you should be quiet. Instead of you doing talking, oh, that you would all together hold your peace, that it, and that should be your wisdom. Wisdom in you guys is just shutting up, okay? Not talking anymore. He makes comment to him, he says, You should listen to some of the things I have to say and stop discounting me. Hear now my reasoning and hearken to the pleading of my lips. He repeats that same idea a second time. He talks about how you guys have been speaking lies. You are forgers of lies. And he goes on, he says, you're all physicians of no value. In other words, you're supposed to be here bringing healing and you're, you're worthless. You're quacks. You're all here all about, you know, selling medicines, your medicine of your advice. And so he goes through this and he's, you know, he's defending himself and, see, and then he, then he says, but here's what I, I, I think. I, I don't understand some of this. He says, here's what I know about God. It feels to me, it thinks, I, I think about God this way. That God, verse 24, wherefore do you hide yourself, your face, and hold me, from your, uh, hold me for your enemy? Will you break a leaf driven to and fro? Will you pursue the dry stubble? That's the way I feel. I'm a leaf, I'm stubble. And he talks about how you put my feet... Also in the stocks, you look, look narrowly unto all my paths. You set a print or you brand me as a criminal. And he says, that's the way I feel that you're treating me. God, I, 
I know you're great. I know you're in control. I know that you're wonderful. These guys are liars. But God, I still don't understand what you're doing. My fairy tale life has just been broken down and I don't know and I'm limited in what I know. And I want you to remember that this is so, so critical to studying the text. Job has things much worse than us. Okay? And even us here in this room, there are a number of you over the last few weeks have said, I am so tired of being sick. I am so tired of this trial. I'm so tired of going through this painful situation. I've said to God, God, I'd rather be in heaven. I'm so tired of having this agony of heart, this loneliness. I'd just as soon go to heaven. Well, that's where Job is at. And yet Job has it much worse than us, but he has much less than us. He knows some things about God, but you have a whole lot more knowledge than he does. So when you read Job, understand that he doesn't have a written Bible. Yes, does he have revelation? Sure. He understands sacrifices. He understands a lot about God. Okay, and there's things that we don't have recorded that were given out, like in the Old Testament, Abel and, and Cain, they knew how to sacrifice. We don't know where they learned that. Obviously, God spoke to people. That wasn't recorded. And Job has knowledge of God. We don't know where he got it, but he has it. Handed down orally, probably. God speaking to him, I don't know. But he doesn't have as much as you do. You have far more revelation from God. You have a complete Bible. He didn't. He doesn't have as much knowledge as insight. He doesn't know that sometimes that God sends trials and his, his response is that my grace is sufficient. He doesn't have a verse that says all things work together for good to them that love God. He doesn't have a passage that says, neither did this man sin nor his parents, but this is for the glory of God. That miracle in John chapter 9. He doesn't understand that. He doesn't understand where, and know that what Paul's going to say says, even these things have fallen unto me in the prison under the furtherance of the gospel. Job doesn't have all that information to go back to. He doesn't have an indwelling Holy Spirit. You do. Job has less than what you do. He, he doesn't have people's explanation and generation after generation of explaining and expounding upon doctrinal truth. So he has limited understanding. He's not standing on other shoulders. He has fewer prophets. He has fewer, he doesn't have any of the apostles. He doesn't have that same information. And so when you read the book, please understand his questioning. Please understand his confusion comes from a point where he doesn't have all the answers the way you have all the answers. And even when I say you have all the answers, I say that tongue in cheek. Because we don't have all the answers. Correct? And so that's where he's coming from. So it's not surprising that he says sometimes, God, I just don't get it. There's times you say that, I just don't get it. And you have so much more. So Job is going to express, I just don't get it. And he's going to say, you know, I don't know everything. But he makes a comment that is profound in the middle of this, that what little knowledge he has, it's going to hold him steadfast. He says in verse 15, just a tremendous, tremendous statement that he makes. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I will maintain mine own ways before him. And he makes that comment, that commitment. He says, even though I don't understand, even though I question, why does, he, why does he treat me like a man in prison? Why does he treat me like stubble on the ground? Why does he keep blowing the winds upon me and the fires? And why, do, why does I feel like I'm branded as a crook for the rest of my life? I don't understand. But this I know. Though he slay me, I will trust him. I will stay loyal. What is it? What little bit of knowledge does he have 
that keeps him so anchored? What is it that he has, that he knows, that keeps him so grounded? There are several things in this text that Job knows. Job says, the reason I am trusting is because I know this. I know that we people, we're not trustworthy. We people, we don't control, I know God controls everything. We don't control anything. Man that is born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. That idea is that if we could, we wouldn't have problems. If we could, we wouldn't have issues. Is that true or false? If you could be in control, would you make yourself have sickness? Would you put yourself in, in financial problems? Would you put yourself in conflicts? And the answer is, no. I might put somebody else in. Yeah. But I wouldn't put me there. I wouldn't put my family there. And he says, this is us. Compared to God who controls everything, I'm going to trust in God because I know that those who are born of a woman, okay, which is all of us, that we are full of trouble. I know this. I know that our lives are very short. That, that our length of our, our lifetime, he goes, he says in verse 2, well, he comes forth like a flower and is cut low. He flees also as a shadow and continues not. And he says, this is the way our lives are so short. They don't, they, look at verse 5. Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with you, God. Thou hast appointed his bonds. I'm going to trust you because we, our lives are fleeting and you are in control of our lives. So I might as well trust you because you're the one who knows. You're the one in control. I'm going to trust you because, God, I know this about me. I know that me and all the people with me, before you, we are unclean. Look at verse 3. He says, Do you open your eyes upon such a one and bring me into judgment with thee? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Can, can, a, can a person be born without sin? No. Why not? Because our parents have sin. He says, how many people are born sinless? He answered it. Did you see it there? There is none righteous, no. He says the same thing here. No one. No one is born righteous. And if we were brought in judgment before God or with God, if we're brought in judgment, we're going to be found wanting. So I'm trusting you, God. I'm trusting you because you're in control of everything. You're in control of my life. Me, standing before you, I don't have a prayer. I don't, have, I don't have any hope because I'm a sinful creature. He goes on, he makes another observation. He says, we're finite. We're limited in what, in, how, in what we live. He says, there is hope of a tree, verse 7, that if it be cut down, it will sprout again, and the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, the stock thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud again and bring forth bows like a... What's he talking about? He's talking about those weeds in your garden. You pluck them out, and here in a couple of weeks, now that they got rain, what's going to happen to the weeds? They're going to grow back. He says, but that doesn't happen to people. When people are plucked out, those people don't grow, like, grow back like the vegetation. Yeah, by, by the way, th th this is just one of those phrases that, that basically he's going to say, we're not like that at all. We're not recycled. You know, he, verse 10, man dies and wastes away. Yea, man gives up a ghost, and where does he go? Where is he? He says, we are more like the waters of the floods. We are the floods that, you know, like last night, if you went driving around after the rainstorm, there was water everywhere. There was water in the roads. There was this. And by morning, most of it is, yeah, the roads aren't flooded anymore. 
He says, that's the way we are. We are like waters that all of a sudden there's a flood and, we, and then we dry up. It evaporates and it's gone. He says, so that is the way man is. So man lies down and rises not till the heavens be no more. They shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. He says, that's us. We are like, we, we die and we just, we evaporate. We're gone from this earth. We're not like that tree that gets recycled or that comes back, you know. That's, and then he asks the question, then what's going to happen after I die? I'm trusting you, God. I'm trusting you because I know this is the way. You are in control. I'm not righteous. I, I, if I were in control, it would be nothing but trouble. I know that my life on this earth is going to end. And then what happens? This is why I'm trusting you, God. And his next comments, remember, he doesn't know a whole lot. He doesn't have as much as what you have. But this is what he knows. That after a person dies, he doesn't get a second chance. He's not like the vegetation. He says, I know this, we're not recycled. We're not a, you know, we're not a Coke can. We're not a, you know, a plastic bottle that gets recycled. That's not us. We're not like a tree that gets plucked up and then the roots start sprouting it. That's not us. We have one life. I understand this. We have one life. He knows that. In ancient days, he knows we have one life to live for the Lord, to make count. He says, I also know that when I die, there's going to be changes. And this much I know about death. Jump down to verse 20 and 22. He says, you prevail forever against him. He passes. You change his countenance and send him away. He's talking about somebody dying. He's making the comment that when somebody dies, their physical features will be coarse, will be crass. When somebody's in the grave, they don't stay looking the same. The the corpse changes. Yes? No? Yeah, we know that without being graphic. He says, I also know this, that when we are sent away, we're away from family. His sons will then come to honor, and he doesn't know it. They are brought low, but he perceives not of them. We are not, after when we die, we are not there involved following around and being with our family. We're not there. We're sent away. In death, we go away, and we may not even know everything happening in our household that we were there at one time. So in death, we have that limited knowledge. He says in death, you know, we don't know, we're not aware. And so he says, I know this. And I know this. This is where he gets profound. I know that God will one day resurrect me and restore me to life for eternity. This is amazing he knows this. Nobody's ever done this. Nobody has heard Jesus bringing people back from the dead. Nobody's heard that yet. Nobody has seen a Lazarus come forth to the grave. But Job knows this. Job says, this I know. This is why I'm I'm, I'm trusting. Though he slay me, I'm trusting because I know this. If a man dies, shall he live again? In all the days of my appointed time will I wait until my change comes. He knows. He's convinced. He's absolutely sure there's going to be a resurrection. He'll go to the grave, but he's coming back out of the grave, and only by the power of God. Now, we know a little bit of information. Jump all the way to John chapter 5. For just a minute here, jump to John chapter 5. Jesus told you and me a whole lot more about this resurrection. In John chapter 5, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 5 is after 4. Okay? John chapter 5. Follow along. Watch what Jesus says, talking to the Jews who knew and read Job, and he expands upon the knowledge that he gives. In John chapter 5, 
Jump down, let's, let's pick up the text we have up here on verse 21. For as the Father raises up the dead and quickens them, that makes, brings them back to life, even so the Son quickens whom he will, brings back to life. And he goes on, he makes comment. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which has sent him. Truly, 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 verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word, believes on him that sent me, has everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. Verily, verily, this is absolutely true, I say unto you, the hour hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear it shall live. For as the Father has life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man, he is the Messiah, he's making these claims. You summarize what Jesus said. Jesus is the one who's going to perform the resurrection. For on Job and on any who have died. Jesus says when they're resurrected, it's going to be everybody. You will one day be resurrected. Job knows this. Job is trusting God. Why? Because he knows one day he'll be resurrected. We learn, okay, from this text that not everybody is resurrected at the same time. Jesus is going to basically say the hour is for those, it's real close, for those who are believing. Okay? But there's going to be a later resurrection. He's going to talk about a resurrection unto life and a resurrection unto death. That'll be in the future. Okay, we know this. After people are resurrected, there's going to be a judgment. For the believers, there's going to be the judgment of the crowns. For the unsaved, there's going to be a judgment of where will they spend eternity in those resurrected, renewed bodies. We know this, that some of those who are resurrected, it talks about resurrection to damnation or to hell, and there's others who are being resurrected to life or to heaven. Those are the words of Jesus. That's his explanation. And so Jesus makes it clear that the, and I'm going to use a, a modern term, the ticket. The way you get into the resurrection of life or heaven is believing on Jesus. Not just believing whatever you want. Not just being sincere in whatever faith you want. It's believing on Jesus. Okay? And so Jesus is expanding upon what Job knew. But Job knew, he says, I'm trusting you, God, because you're in control. I couldn't control anything. I'm a sinner. All of us are. And he says, one day I'm going to die. And when I die, I'm going to be brought back to life and I'm going to face judgment. So I'm trusting you. That takes us back to what he said. Okay? That one day, because I'm trusting you, when I am brought back, in that day when I'm brought back, I, in that day I will have unbroken fellowship with you. Look at verse 15. Back in Job, chapter 14, verse 15, where he's talked about how I will be changed. You will call, I will answer. You will have a desire to work of your hands. We are going to have a closeness there in that time when you resurrect me. So I'm trusting you. I'm trusting. One day, Job is confident. One day I'm going to be with God. One day I'm going to be there and we're going to have a wonderful time. He knew this is possible. And this is, this is amazing. He says, because, and he makes this comment. You are the one who takes away my sin. Look at verse 16. For you, he says, now you number my steps. Do you not watch over me? My transgression is sealed in a bag. You sewed up mine iniquity. The only reason I know that I'm going to be with you one day after the resurrection is because of what you've done for me. You have taken my sins away forever. Although you know all about me, you number my days, you know everything. You know where I have gone where I shouldn't have gone. You know what I have done that I shouldn't have done. 
You know everything. You know that I'm a sinner. You know that I'm not perfect. You do not keep this constant watch, this constant condemnation upon my sins forever. He goes on, my transgression by your work has been sealed up in a bag. It's been closed up. It is out of, you know, Job's idea of, of getting the sin put away is put in a bag and then you sew it up. That is, you cover it over in some way. Maybe like a, there's a hole and you put a patch over it. How did the psalmist say? You put my, my sins as far as the east is from the, I should do that right. As far as the east is from the west. There we go. Right direction. Okay. And he, you know, where Jesus Christ said in the New Testament, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. It's all the same concept, but stated in different ways. And Job is saying, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting. I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't understand what you're doing right now, but this much I know. I will continue to trust in you because you are the one in control. Because if I were in control, it'd be a mess. Because I'm a sinner, and as a sinner, I'm going to die, and I'm going to one day be resurrected, brought back, and I'm going to be judged by you, and my sins... I'm trusting you because I need my sins forgiven and I can't get rid of myself. He's talked about that already in chapter 9, that if he would cleanse himself, it, it, it wouldn't work. And so he says, I am trusting in you because it's you. It's you, God. It's you. You are the one that takes away my sins. You're the one that, that casts them far away. He knows there's nothing he can do for himself. Absolutely. He knows that this, this eternal life with God in heaven is totally, totally a provision by God, a, a, a work done by God Almighty. And he says, I needed that forgiveness to have eternal fellowship with you. Therefore, I'm going to trust in you. He didn't have everything you have, but he had all he needed, did he not? To just say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. Now, some of you say, okay, that is sounding too good to be true. It sounds almost like a happily ever after fairy tale that could go awry. But there's a difference here. This isn't Disney. This isn't fractured fairy tales. This is God speaking and God is real. God is reliable. Jesus even said, if these things were not so, I would have told you. We have a happily ever after future if we keep our trust in God. It doesn't mean this life is going to be all easy. It doesn't mean this life is going to be without problems. But the point is, if we trust the Lord, though he slay me, I will trust him. I will trust him. I will trust him. That's where Job is at. That's where you and I need to be. We need to be trusting him no matter what happens. Trusting in the Lord for your eternal salvation. Not in church, not in baptism, not in your parents, not in your good looks or your good bank account, but trusting in Jesus Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life for your eternal destiny. Trust in Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins because he died for you. He rose again for you. And he will raise you up anew and afresh and to be with him forever if you put your faith and trust in him for your eternal forgiveness. You and I need to trust in the Lord for our everyday guidance. That's where Job's at. Job's already put faith in God. But Job is saying, now I need you. I need you beyond forgiving me. I need your help day by day. And though you slay me, I will trust you. 
That's what he said here, what we talked about last week, a week before, where he says that, you know, I am not going to deny your words, or I'm not going to put them away from me and, and put them far from me. The idea is that, G, that Job is saying, I am going to follow your word no matter what has happened. Do I question what's happening? Yes, but I am going to trust you. I am going to trust you for my provisions. I'm going to trust you for doing what's best in my life. I was reminded of that this morning as the staff was praying together. And Pastor Allen prayed, he says, we know that whatever you do, it's the best for us. That is in the middle of sitting there and seeing your family facing a cancer, terminal cancer issue. The prayer comes out of his lips. That's where Job is at. Job is saying, I am trusting you no matter what's going on. What's tomorrow? I'm trusting you for help for today. I'm trusting you that when I do right, and I do right, and whatever the results are, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. That's Job. He doesn't have all the answers. He doesn't know as much as you do, but he knows to trust. 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 Jill Briscoe writes about an incident in their own family. Their little boy, one day, they, were, they needed to get some medical tests done because of a chronic situation. He was supposed to go to school on Monday, but that's the only time they could get the appointment was Monday. So dad told him on Friday, he said, son, you're not going to school right away in the morning. I'm going to take you to the doctors to have an x-ray. And nothing more was said. He had no explanation, nothing more. The little boy who, when he was, when dad was telling him that, was playing with his stuff and her dad stopped playing, looked at dad and went back to playing. But they noticed over Saturday and Sunday, he was a little bit distracted. He was a little bit not himself. So come Monday morning, you know, dad says, sends the other kids off to school. Dad says, okay, come with me. We're going to go. And they get in the car, and the little boy's in the back seat, and he notices the little boy's crying. And he says, son, what, what's wrong? Are you afraid? Yes. Yeah, well, you know, why are you so afraid? Because of what the doctor's going to do. He says, what do you think the doctor's going to do? He's going to execute me. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't say execute you. I said x-ray you. I know what an execution is. <laughs> they had to clear it up. But you know what's amazing? That little boy got in the car with his dad. It's amazing he got in the car with his dad. Why did he do that? He trusted his dad. He trusted his dad. You and I, even if we think God is going to execute us, we need to trust. We need to trust. We need to be reliant upon the Lord. And this song is not just a silly song, just that we sing. There is a factor here that it is sweet to have somebody to trust in who is in control, who has taken care of our sin, who knows what best, who is able to give us eternal life. There is a real, real confidence in this idea of trusting in Jesus. That's where Job's at. That's where we should be. And we can sing about that joy. But listen, you're here this morning. And you don't know for sure your sins are forgiven. You don't know what happens on Resurrection Day. You can know. These things have been written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. You need to have that same 
clarity, that same confidence that Job had that your sins have been all sealed away, that they've been sown over, that one day in the resurrection you're going to be in heaven and all will be for good. If you don't have that confidence, we have several going to that door right there. They're going to be there waiting to talk with you, to show you from the Bible what you need to do this day to have that confidence, what you need to pray this day. While we sing, I invite anyone, I invite all of you who say, I'm not sure where I'm going to spend eternity. Go over there and talk with somebody in a private room. Find out for sure. But the rest of us, let's sing. Let's sing of our faith. Let's sing of our trusting in Jesus, how sweet that is.